So many times in life and in medicine, we can start with a great idea, great concept, and then somehow it just kind of goes somewhere we never wanted it to go. No, I'm not talking about COVID and all the weird information that's out there, although it definitely applies to that situation as well. No, specifically, I'm talking about testosterone therapy in women. See, just yesterday, October the 7th, 2021, ACOG released a current commentary titled testosterone therapy in women, but it's not even out in print yet. You see, there's so much confusion about testosterone therapy in women that I thought I would use this time to summarize that soon-to-be-released clinical commentary and relate it to some true previously published facts that have just kind of gone wild. You see, the truth is there is a real indication for testosterone use in women, but that indication is very select and none of the current doses that are out there are the correct doses for that one condition. Curious? Well, let's get into this now. So in this podcast, once again, we're going to summarize testosterone therapy in women and why it's such a clinical challenge in practice today. Hi, this is Madeline Carson, fourth year medical student at Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine and future family medicine physician. This is Clinical Pearls. Let's start off with the true indication of testosterone replacement in women, and there's really only one. There is a place for the physiologic dose replacement of testosterone in postmenopausal women who have hypoactive sexual desire disorder. Back in 2014, an international panel of global experts met to identify the true benefits and risks on testosterone treatment for women. This coalition issued international consensus opinions on this therapy, and it was reaffirmed, although it first went out in 2014, it was reaffirmed back in 2017 and again in 2019. The Endocrine Society and 10 other international esteemed medical societies got together for the first GPS, that's Global Position Statement on the Use of Testosterone in the Treatment of Women. The statement was published in four leading international medical journals and has been authored by a diverse team of leading experts, again, from around the world. It follows years of debate regarding testosterone therapy for women, and for the first time, it provided an agreement among experts and medical societies about how testosterone should be prescribed for women. This panel concluded that it was appropriate in physiological doses, and that's the catch right there, physiological doses, that testosterone therapy could be used and was appropriate for women who are postmenopausal with hypoactive sexual desire dysfunction. But they very strongly stated that the available evidence does not support the use of testosterone for any other symptoms or medical condition outside of a truly diagnosed HSDD that was done by strict criteria. Okay, that makes sense, right? Once we exclude other potential organic or psychosocial factors that could lead to hypoactive sexual desire disorder in postmenopausal women, then maybe short-term, and there's a catch, short-term, and here's the other catch, physiologic replacement of testosterone can be done. 
the problem is they've taken something that's true and the unregulated world of pharmacologic therapies, in other words, things that you can buy off the shelf, have kind of manipulated that. And what women are getting can be something far more dangerous. According to the clinical commentary, terms like, quote, natural, end quote, or plant-based or bioidentical are all marketing terms designed to engender trust and a sense of safety. However, there are very real known risks, including endometrial cancers, blood clots, and even breast cancers that have been found because of these issues. The global consensus on the use of testosterone in women made it clear that the use of bioidentical pellets does not represent appropriate care. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has released a letter referencing the lack of reporting of more than 4,000 adverse events, including endometrial cancers, by the BioTE medical company that is based in my home state of Texas. That company provides bioidentical hormone pellet therapy. Now, the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine was tasked with reviewing the use of compounding hormone therapy, known as CBHT, and it noted in their consensus report just in 2020 that the committee concluded there was insufficient evidence to support the clinical utility of compounding bioidentical hormone therapy. Based on their examination of the evidence to address a public health concern, the committee recommended restricted use of these compounded bioidentical hormones because it was very hard to track their outcomes, their levels in patients, and there was just no oversight of these products. The authors of this clinical commentary actually put some of the blame in this wild, wild west of testosterone replacement of women on the lack of FDA regulation of the products that can be found over the counter or in some of these health clinics that are placing supra-physiological doses of testosterone in women. Once again, testosterone is an important female hormone with activity in all body systems, but especially in the brain and the genital region. Now, this steroid has historically been poorly understood as it's hard to measure in the female range with standard tests. And the tests can be inaccurate at low levels and they are not standardized. More importantly, just because a patient has a low level of testosterone doesn't mean that her symptoms of low libido or caused by that because, of course, low libido is such a complex issue, even dealing with psychosocial factors. The authors of this clinical commentary also make an important clarification. You see, there's a common assumption that there's a sudden drop of testosterone with the onset of menopause, and as soon as menses is over, boom, there goes your testosterone. But that's not true. Testosterone and precursors continue to be made from the ovaries and the adrenals. There is a gradual decline in testosterone levels throughout a person's life, regardless of sex, but there is no increase in the rate of this decline at menopause. Probably the only time that there is an abrupt drop in testosterone is when the patient goes bilateral ovarectomy, but that's a unique case. Now here's a clinical pearl in case a patient comes to you and asks to measure her testosterone level. Now I know we get testosterone level like part of the PCOS hypoandrogen workup, but again, that's something totally different. Here we're talking about specifically for libido. The North American Menopause Society agrees and notes that hormone testing in general has very limited use in menopause, usually employed to evaluate whether there's poor absorption if symptoms relief is not occurring with medication. The expensive and expensive 
expansive hormone panels that include blood, urine, or saliva that are sold to women actually, quote, have no place in evidence-based medicine. End quote. That is not my saying. That's from the North American Menopause Society. So let's say that quote again. According to this society's bulletin, the expensive and expansive hormone panels, including blood, urine, or saliva, that are sold or marketed to women have no place in evidence-based medicine. That's pretty rough. The urine and salivary panels are just not standardized with significant intersubject and intersubject variability. They also state that they do not add any information about menopause and sexual function above that a woman reports in her own symptom diary alone. A careful and detailed history is both less expensive and more clinically useful in the diagnosis of HSDD in postmenopausal women, according to this current commentary. All right, now that we've covered that pretty rough statement, let's talk about decreased libido because that's something that's really misunderstood. And women do come in. They come in and ask me, hey, I just don't feel like having sex. You know, I've got X number of kids running around the house. And at the end of the day, I just don't feel like doing that. And they're concerned about decreased libido. Well, I don't know if they have decreased libido or they're just tired. So again, decreased libido is something that's also been misunderstood. And we've got podcasts on that in the past. But let's review this very briefly as it relates to aging and menopause. Decreased libido or desire can be seen in women throughout their reproductive lives and is a response to any number of complex stimuli, including psychological, psychosocial, relational, and physical health statuses. Reduced libido becomes more common as women age, with a prevalence of 11% in women aged 20 to 29 years and 53% in women that are between the ages of 60 and 70. Hypoactive sexual desire disorder, or HSDD, on the other hand, which is defined as both reduced desire and distress from this reduction that's not explained by physical, psychological, or relationship factors, is actually stable across ages. It ranges from 6% to 13% in women from 20 to 70 years of age. So let's say that again because that's a clinical pearl. While reduced libido can be more common as women age, hypoactive sexual desire disorder is when that reduced desire or reduced libido is causing distress and it's not caused by some other either internal or external factor and that rate is stable across ages. Here's a good reminder. According to the clinical commentary, women's reports of decreased desire are super important and they deserve a genuine evaluation, including a discussion of sexual pain, psychological stresses, body image changes, relationship factors, fatigue, sleep issues, depression issues. All of these things can increase around the time of menopausal transition. This can also be accompanied by the drawing of specific tests. I mean, if you think that there's an organic issue like hypothyroidism or uncontrolled diabetes or a neurological issue, those have to be addressed before medications, before a just an easy e-script for testosterone is given. In other words, we've got to do the proper workup because HSDD is a very specific diagnosis. All right, so let's get back to this message here. Because remember we said at the beginning that you can take something good and then it kind of goes off somewhere where you didn't desire? Well, that's the case here. 
yes, testosterone therapy in women who meet the criteria, specifically postmenopausal and who have HSDD, can be a consideration for the short term and, we've already mentioned it, in physiological doses. But the problem is, is that testosterone therapy in the U.S. generally uses FDA-approved male products that provide extremely high levels that's what's considered physiologic for a woman. And this can cause real long-term issues, including hair growth, cholesterol issues, cardiovascular risk, endometrial cancers, and some breast cancers. Now, again, I don't want to get the wrong message out. There is a role, again, for postmenopausal HSDD, and in some cases, in premenopausal patients that can be helped with physiologic doses of testosterone. And there's also evidence that in women that have undergone oophorectomy, that's also a potential patient candidate who could benefit from short-term physiologic doses of testosterone. However, it's not considered part of the standard hormone replacement regimen in that condition because most simply give an estrogen or estrogen with progestin if there's a concern about the potential of endometriosis and the conversion of some endometriotic implants into a precancerous condition with estrogen alone. But there is a role, again, in women who have undergone oophorectomy because there is a precipitous drop in testosterone. And so that can be discussed with them. But again, physiologic doses and for a short amount of time only. Now that we're at the end, so here's where we're at. Yes, there is a role for testosterone use in women, but it's got to be the right dose. And the current FDA, quote, approved uses are for men and they're in much higher doses than that are appropriate for women. Too often, testosterone, usually involving implants or pellets, is marketed as a fountain of youth or as a fountain of strength or weight loss and energy. In fact, none of those represent true indications for prescribing testosterone. Supraphysiologic dosing can be very dangerous when medications that are used for men are given to women. These effects frequently wear off over time, leading to dose increases and more side effects. It's important to remember that this is not a harmless natural hormone or that supplements can actually be a form of an anabolic steroid and they have to be used with care. And one of the last clinical pearls is this, that the side effects that have been reported, including acne and hair growth, can even be seen with physiological doses of testosterone supplements. That's why it's important to use them for a very short amount of time, the shortest amount of time possible to give the patient some relief. At supraphysiologic levels, there are alterations in lipid profiles, including decreased HDL and increased LDL. There's also increased in weight, but there's no significant change in body composition. Supraphysiologic dosing can also result in deepening of the voice, development of the Adam's apple, and clitoromegaly. And these guys, listen to this, are not reversible. Well, let's not completely end on a just negative note. I mean, there is some long-term safety data on testosterone, but nonetheless, overall, it's still poorly understood and under-researched. There is data from a four-year open-label extension of a study with a female-dosed patch that gave 300 micrograms per day, and it showed no increase in serious adverse events. There is also a four-year phase three study of female-dosed 1% transdermal gel that also delivers 300 micrograms per day, 
that looked at breast cancer and cardiovascular outcomes in women who were older than 50 with at least two cardiovascular risk factors at baseline. It showed a lower than anticipated rate of serious cardiovascular events and no increase in breast cancer rates. Again, that's reassuring. There are associations with increased levels of testosterone and breast and endometrial cancers most recently seen in a large biobank study from the UK where the hazard ratio for endometrial cancer per increment of free testosterone was 1.59 and for breast cancer was 1.32. Boy, have we covered a lot of information. So where are we at with this? Well, testosterone therapy in women. It's not a panacea for all of life's ills, but there is a very well-defined role for it. Postmenopausal women with hypoactive sexual desire disorder, this can be done in physiologic doses and for the shortest amount of time possible because side effects are real. It can also be considered in women who have a precipitous drop in premenopausal testosterone, perhaps in those who have bilateral oophorectomy. Again, only at physiological doses, about 300 micrograms per day, and for the shortest time possible, because adverse effects, again, are real, and some of those are not reversible. Once again, this current commentary from Obstetrics and Gynecology from the American College of OBGYN will be out in print at a future date. But for now, for those interested, you can look up the International Global Coalition that released the International Consensus for Testosterone Treatment on Women, first out in 2014, again verified in 2017 and 2019. As always, thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.